Today we wrap up our series on uh, grace and truth, and we saw, we have seen the tension in grace and truth. Last week, uh, Pastor John preached a dynamic message on truth, and today we're going to focus this weekend on how uh, grace and truth tension works in our daily lives. How is this applicable to us today? I believe we're called to be people of grace and truth. 100% of grace, 100% of truth. Why? Because Jesus was like that. Jesus is like that. His teachings still encounter us. His Holy Spirit fills us. We see in the Bible, grace and truth come from him, radiate, pour out. Jesus is a model for us to live. We're to be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's the great reason right there. Maybe you're wondering, well, how is this applicable for me? For example, we tend to lean one way or another, don't we? Grace or truth. For example, when I got out of seminary, I was a person that leaned heavy on the truth side. But as I encountered ministry and experienced people who just were struggling in a mess, and even finding myself in a mess as I experienced more life on the human journey, I went to the grace side. And now this series, it's really helped me to really see the balance of grace and truth. And so today, we're just going to look at the applicable tension here. Maybe you're a grace person. Maybe you're worried that if you start speaking more truth, people won't like you as much because you're so gracious and you don't want them to feel uncomfortable when you say the truth to challenge them. Or maybe you're more of a truth person. You may worry that people will see you as soft or less authoritative if you show more grace. But I don't think this is the case. You see, when God tells us how to live, it's always for a reason and purpose. And it's in grace and truth together. He doesn't just give us commandments because he wants to ruin our fun or make your life miserable. Today, I want to share an illustration that Pastor John and I learned from Tom Bush, who's a member of this congregation, and he's a coach, a life coach, an executive coach. In all fairness to Tom, he shared a very detailed presentation, and notes were taken. So his presentation would be much more detailed. And so you're getting the preacher version this morning. I'm going to use a graph to illustrate this Uh, grace and truth tension and how we can powerfully live it out you see up here we got a purple line that represents relationship and then an orange line that represents results in many of our interactions these two expectations they exist don't they for example if you go out to lunch today right after church and you're probably going to beat the baptists And you'll experience this waitress, and she comes up to you. You want them to be friendly, don't you? You want her to be friendly. But what if she walks up to your table scowling and chucks the menu at you and says, what do you want to eat? 
You're already thinking that the tip is just going down like this today. You want some friendliness, don't you? You want some relationship with her. But you also want results, right? What if she's the sweetest person ever? But 15 minutes in, you don't even have your water with lemon. (laughs) Their sweetness doesn't matter so much. You want that server to be on top of getting your chicken and, and your mashed potatoes and peas and carrots to you. You want results. You want both relationship and results happening. Or as the Bible calls it, grace and truth. Let's see how this works out in real life. And I'll give you some examples from the Bible. In the bottom left corner, we see what happens when there's no relationship and no real expectation, no grace and no truth. As you might imagine, this never, never ends well, my friends. I'm not even going to spend time with a biblical example on this one because it's obviously wrong. If you don't care enough to show grace or truth, what relationship do you even have? It's like a deadbeat parent who never cares or like a boss who just plays on his phone all day and refuses to engage you and you've got a person like this if you've got a person like this in your life how do you feel you feel unimportant you're going to be bored you're definitely going to be demotivated so no grace and no truth equals no value at all In the bottom right corner, we see what happens when there's no relationship, but big results are expected. In other words, no grace and all truth. I need you to get your work done. I don't want to hear your whining about it. Just shut up and crank out the work. The beatings will continue unless morale improves. Has anyone ever had a boss like that or a parent like that? In a relationship like that? How do you feel with this you feel used or abused or you'll live in nervousness or, or be fearful and it stresses you out. You see, all truth and no grace equals resentment and rebellion. There are many examples of this in the Bible. One of my favorites is an Israelite king named Rehoboam. And, what, and he was the son of Solomon Solomon was the wisest king in all of Israel. Now, Rehoboam inherited the leadership of of Israel in her heyday. The military was strong at that time. The stock market, you could say, was booming. Everybody's student loans were forgiven, and life was good. But Solomon died. And Rehoboam took over, and the people uh, came and said, Listen, your dad accomplished a lot. But the taxes are crazy high. Could we talk about lowering those taxes? Now, Rehoboam called in together some of the older, wiser men to advise, who, advise, who advised Solomon. In 1 Kings 12, 7, it says, The older counselors replied, If you are willing to be a servant to these people today, give them a favorable answer, and they will always be your loyal subjects. But this wasn't the answer that the king wanted. He said, what do these old timers know anyway? So he called together his buddies. Look at 1 Kings 12. The young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. 
My little finger is thicker than your father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Now, by the way, how do you beat somebody with a scorpion? I just don't know. That sounds idiotic. But Rehoboam listened to this stupidity from his buddies. And the nation literally became divided from this decision. And it would never be united again. So all truth and no grace leads to resentment and rebellion. Now in the top left corner, we see what happens when there's a good relationship, but the expectations are really low. In other words, there's a lot of grace, but there's not much truth. And many of us have relationships like this. This may be an epidemic in parenting that I see today, modern parenting. We spend time with our kids. We do our best to give them everything that they want. And we want them to have every advantage to get ahead. But sometimes we don't require too much of them, right? They watch TV while we do the chores. They complain when the vacations aren't uh, elaborate and we go into debt trying to afford what they want. Why do we do this? Folks, we want to be liked, don't we? Whether it's in the family or at work or in our friendships, we often don't realize how desperate it is or we are for affirmation from others. Maybe you've worked for someone like this. And how do you feel? You feel too comfortable. Or maybe you lack in purpose, uh, not being trusted. They avoid challenging you to generate results because they want you to like them. While you may like certain things about them, you actually have less respect for them that you, that if they challenged you and gave you much, so much more truth. Also, this can really go badly if you, lack, if, if you lack a good moral compass. You see, all grace and no truth leads to a license for evil, if you think about it. Let me explain from the Bible uh, an illustration of this. Remember the priest Eli? Eli was the one whom young Samuel was groomed and, and brought up into the priestly role. Now, Eli was a wonderful priest, but he wasn't a very good father because he was totally ineffective at controlling his two sons. His sons were evil. Now, his sons' names were uh, Hophni uh, and Phoebus, and these guys were evil, my friends. They were priests, but the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, it says, Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels, and they had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. In fact, they would steal meat from people's sacrifices. That's the ancient equivalent of, of the pastor stealing from the offering plate. Yikes, there was just, and there was these young women that had helped serve in the temples, and Eli's sons would have sex with them. So the picture is the worst possible version of a pastor that you could ever experience. This was Eli's sons. Now, Eli confronted them, but he, and, he, and they totally ignored him. Did Eli discipline them by taking them out of their role as priests? No. So what did God do? God punished them all. All three of them died on the same day when Israel lost a tragic battle to the Philistines. 
Eli was so worried about being liked by his sons that he put their desires over what was right. And tragically, this led to untimely deaths. You see, all grace and no truth makes it license for evil. Finally, we have the top right-hand corner. Here's the good news. This is the corner we find in Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. You see, as we look at the failures and danger of all the other three quadrants, we see how desperately we need both relationship and responsibility, both, both grace and truth in our lives. If you have people in your life that are like this, they're full of grace, they're full of truth. Thank God, because they're a blessing to you, my friends. Pause for a moment and thank them. Say, Lord, thank you for these people. Maybe it was someone in your past that nurtured you with grace and truth. They're a gift. You see, full grace and full truth equals God's blessing. God's blessing. You know, if, you have a, if you're blessed with a person that's currently in your life like this, who genuinely loves you and expects a lot out of you, how do you feel? You feel loved. You feel empowered to live a better life. You feel uh, trusted in your friendship, in your relationship. You'll be engaged, but you'll also be challenged to live out your purpose. And there's so many great examples in the Bible, but I'm going to stick with the number one example, and that's Jesus Christ. How can you improve, improve on Jesus? He set the perfect example for us. With Jesus, it was, it was oft, always relationship first and then challenge later. Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty, 30, Jesus said this, Come to me, all you are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. The burden I give you is light. You see, relationship before challenge grace before truth do you know why the world often looks at christians as judgmental and hypocritical because we start calling stuff out when we don't have a relationship with that person we don't have built up equity i can only challenge people to the level that i have invested in that relationship put that slide up there doug investment in relationship we have to make deposits in people's love bank invest first and then challenge later i love what solomon said in proverbs eighteen thirteen: spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish think of relationships as a bank account you can't go spending money before you save money right many people speak truth but it falls on deaf ears because uh, they don't have enough investments in that person, in that relationship. Leading with challenge first uh, seems that you just want to talk at me rather than talk with me. Here's an easy example. Let's say you accidentally cut off somebody in traffic. You didn't mean to, but you know, you had that important text that you needed to send. No, I'm just kidding, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> But you know what? You did it. They lay on the horn. 
and they pull up next to you at a stoplight. Doesn't it happen that way sometimes? They roll down their window. They start giving you some feedback on your driving skills. And what do you do? Do you say, thank you, sir, for all this useful information. I can see that you are a fountain of wisdom about driving. Could we set up a time to meet for coffee and I could learn from you and be formed in the driving skills ways that you have so wonderfully shown me? No. You ignore them. Or maybe you say something you regret. Because why? Because that person has no, they have no relational equity with you. You see, all grace, no truth. Truth without relational equity, it gets ignored. Now, if that was your friend, they'd approach the situation with more grace. And, and you'd be a lot more gracious yourself, right? Why? Because you got relational equity, my friends, with them. In relationships, how do you make deposits? You listen to people. You treat them with love and respect. You give them your full attention. You do what you say you'll do. You act with integrity and humility. And all these things build up equity within that person, in that relationship. So when you see an area of your friend's uh, life where you need to speak some truth, you come into conversation with trust already established, don't you? You've got money in the bank. So when you say something that might be a little bit uncomfortable, you can do it with confidence because they trust you. They already have that trust relationship with each other. What if we led by listening? As Stephen Covey famously said, uh, seek first to understand, then to be understood. If I lead a conversation with invitation, it's my way of knocking at the door of your life. You know, I have thoughts about how this concept relates to my spirituality, my friend. Can I share my faith with you? Or if you need to confront something with truth, I've seen some things that are concerning me. There's a blind spot in your life, my friend. May I share that with you? Or if you have an opportunity to share Jesus with someone, you say, are you interested in hearing more about my spiritual journey that has led to a lot of peace in my life? This is how Jesus treated people. Remember Zacchaeus? I love the story of Zacchaeus. He was this hated chief tax collector. He just wasn't a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. So he was really hated because he was getting rich off of people's taxes. And he was working for the Romans, overcharging his fellow countrymen. But Jesus honored him by going to his house to hang out. Even the religious leaders hated that. But what happened when he met Jesus? Look at Luke 19, 5 through 10. <clears throat> Excuse me. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. He took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Jesus cared about this guy. Imagine 
if Jesus would have seen him in that sycamore tree and said, you're a crook, you're a thief, you've cheated people out of taxes, you're no good, everybody, you steal from everybody, what are the odds that Zach would have been changed by that? Not good, right? But later that same day, look at it, Luke 19, 8 through 10, it said, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. If I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. True son of Abraham, Jesus called him. Brought back. There's no way Zacchaeus would have come to that if Jesus just started yelling at him. Jesus led with grace first and then gave him the truth. We have no idea how much time Jesus spent with Zacchaeus. He probably just hung out with him for a long time, getting to know him, getting to know his past, getting to know his occupation, getting to know maybe even his family, listening to his story and experiencing that love and making that love be built up in Zach's bank account of his life. You know, I remember when I experienced grace and truth in my life for the very first time. I was not a Christian. I was full of myself, far from God. I went on a retreat up in Pickle, Ohio. I sat at this table with this guy named Dan. And all day, the first day, Dan got to know me. He listened to me. He listened to my background, my story. He listened to how I was, what I wanted to maybe major in. And Dan just got to know me throughout the whole day. And Dan was even forgiving. I remember I, I dropped a, a really bad word. And Dan went, hey, Jonathan, man. And I, I immediately apologized for the bad word on the re- Christian retreat. And Dan was like, it's okay, man. It's all right. You're all right, man. Just don't try not to say it again. And I spent this whole day discussing these talks with Dan and other guys at my table. On the first night, I heard a talk titled, The Prodigal. It was about the parable of the prodigal son and the loving father. You see, Dan got that grace going with me all day as he got to know me. And then, in that parable, I heard truth about myself. I heard truth in that parable that I was in the far country that I was looking down into the slop, the same way the prodigal son was looking down in the slop that the pigs were eating. And then I heard home, that I needed to come home, that I needed to come home to God. And I knelt at that altar, and Dan was beside me. And I started, I don't know why, I just started confessing my sins to Dan got it all off the truth about myself 
And Dan heard it all. You see, I experienced the grace of him all day. And then he heard and listened to the truth about myself. And I saw truth about myself through God's ministry in the story of the prodigal. And what did I find? I found no condemnation. I found forgiveness. I found grace and truth in that day on March or May 21st, 1991. It was like a shirt that was taken out of a dryer and laid out on the ironing board, you know? And everything was brought out. And then the iron was laid across that shirt and the wrinkles were, were ironed out of that shirt. You see, that's what Jesus does, my friends. He uses grace and truth. And do you know what's incredible? That's exactly how God looks at you. He looks at you full of grace and truth, my friends. A lot of us Christians live with this view of an angry God who's always disappointing, disappointed with us. Why aren't you living the way you should live? Why aren't you evangelizing more? Who do you think you are? But our Heavenly Father is a good Father who cares about what we do. He's also full of grace. He's, he's full of grace. And so many of us are working hard to earn God's acceptance, when in reality, he wants to set us free. Because people who are free want to help others get free, right? You see, here's the concluding statement for this whole series. Love is the tension between grace and truth. God loves you so much. And yes, he has expectations for you. But these expectations aren't burdensome, my friends. They're gifts of freedom. Because when we live into the life that God calls us, we experience the freedom that the world uh, can never offer. And we experience true joy and peace. We experience real life from the author of life who created you and wants you to live in his grace and in his truth. Let's join in prayer together. God, we thank you for the way in which you have led us in grace and then in the truth. God, we thank you for how both of those have operated in our lives in a way that's just so dynamic. It made us become people who are alive in Christ. We thank you that we can come to you and experience that uh, unconditional, unmerited love of God found in your grace. And then we see the truth that you show us to help us to change and be transformed in a way that's remarkable, in a way that we experience your life in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for this time where we can come to you in the series that has spoken to us with great impact. And may we go out now in all of our relationships and be intentional about living like you, Jesus Christ. 100% grace, 100% truth. We thank you for the abundance that we find 
in these things. We praise you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.